Like the Want, a weekly MMA podcast. What a show do we have for you this week. And here to talk about it are none other than your two favorite Ukrainian hosts. I'm Jenny. And I'm Dima. Guys, I'm telling you now, I wish this was our 20th episode, as the fights this past weekend were ridiculous. On this week's show, Tough 25 finale, Justin Gagey quickly becomes new favorite after spectacular debut. UFC 213, new champion crowned in the middleweight division after Yoel Romero and Bobby Knuckles go to war. All this and more on this week's edition of Shoot the Ones podcast. I don't think he's a big fan of Bobby Knuckles, but we'll go with that. More like the Reaper. Before we get started, you can always find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, MMAPodcast.com, or anywhere the top podcasts are heard. Dima, this weekend was a blast. We had the Ultimate Fighter Redemption on Friday night, and on Saturday night we had UFC 213. Indeed, Jania. The MMA gods gifted us with a fantastic, you know, all-around great fight weekend. You know, it started off nice and slow with the top 25 finale, and then it graduated towards the pay-per-view where we saw finally a couple of um, conclusions, you know, as far as middleweight division goes. Yeah, man, this weekend we definitely got to see some prospects move move forward, you know, in the game. You're speaking specifically of Robert Whitaker and Justin Gaethje. But to start off, uh, let's get into the, the tough redemption season. And I guess let's start off from the bottom. Gray Maynard picks up a win against Tarutu Ishihara, for also on this podcast known as My Beaches. Yeah, man, um, my bitches came in, and it was not a good fight for him because the old grizzled vet, Maynard, man, he j- he took him to the takedown school. He did the classic Randy Couture. He put him on the fence. He put him down several times with, uh, you know, a couple of single doubles and, you know, just kind of put on a really grappling, heavy, smart, tactical performance, and, you know, he, he dominated in his grappling. Yeah, and it showed with 30-26s across the board. Yep, pretty much he beat him in every single decision. He was able to take him down and maintain the top position, which won him to fight. Moving from the fight pass portion of things into the preliminary card on Fox Sports 1. The first one, the first match to start off the night was Tisha Torres and Juliana Lima. She did, however, get her first submission victory in the UFC which was really impressive. I think it's her first finish of her career, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to double-check on that. You're correct, because they were saying that on the on the broadcast. And uh, I, I kind of sarcastically texted you and said, yay, she's a finisher now. So it was good to see. You know, she got the second-round submission, rear naked choke, if I, if I remember correctly. So good to see Tisha Torres moving up in the ranks. Yeah, Dima, albeit... This is her first finish of her career, taking her to 9-1 and one overall. She is an impressive fighter with very good wins back in Invicta. And, yeah, typically she does fight to a decision, but she's a good fighter, you know, and she's up there and she's going to compete with the top, top of 10 in that division. Yeah, after Tisha picked up her first submission of her career, we had a really good fight, Dima, between C.B. Dalloway and Ed Herman. This was really back and forth and uh, one of the better fights on the card. Yeah, it was competitive, it was good matchmaking, it went back and forth, I 
believe they took each other down and uh, well if I'm trying to remember correctly CB Dalloway took Ed Herman down in the first round and I think he might have took the round there Herman was able to land uh, like a crazy combination on him in the second I, th I think he knocked him down and in third CB Dalloway kind of did the same thing he did in the first and was able to secure the takedown Am I remembering this correctly? Yeah, that's a pretty accurate play-by-play. -play. I gave C.B. Dalloway the first round, and Herman came back with some strong punches at the beginning of round two and got Dalloway in some pretty bad positions where he was throwing elbows on the ground, and he had a really successful second round. And he looked like he had the momentum on his side, but C.B. Dalloway in the beginning of the third round came out real smart, took him down right away, you know, got got on his legs within 10 seconds of the round and was able to dominate that round from the top position mostly. Yeah, not the most, uh, you know, crowd-pleasing way to go, but hey, this is what the Doberman is known for, you know, he'll he'll go in there, he'll wrestling heavy, he will go take the take you down if, you know, you have any kind of weaknesses in your wrestling and he will hold you there pretty much. It's a tough way to earn victories, but he, he's damn good at it. Will be one of the best wrestlers to compete. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, this fight was competitive. So he definitely overcame adversity in second round and was able to secure the win for him. Yeah, kind of the same way Gray Maynard got his win earlier. He, yeah, he grinded his opponent out. Mm -hmm. Moving into the next bout of the night, uh, competitors from the series of The Ultimate Fighter. We have James Krause and Tom Galacio. That was a, uh, you know, it was a dogfight, man. Uh, Tom the toothless Tom, they like to call him, uh, he was in there, but he he took an ass-whipping in the second and third round, but it, it, the first one was a little bit more competitive. It was it was a scrappy bout. I agree. Uh, my my, uh, my co-host is kind of the king of butchering uh, names a little bit, but uh, his name is Galicchio. But James Krause versus Tom Galicchio, I thought was pretty much a blowout fight. James Krause, you know, both of these guys were... Losers as semifinals on the show. Tom Galicchio lost to the eventual, or actually no, Tom Galicchio lost to Diego Lima. And James Krause lost to the eventual champion, JT Money. So uh, James Krause, you know, he, he had a big advantage here in the striking, and he was able to use it throughout the fight and win 30-27s on all the cards. To my defense, I do fuck up a lot of names, but I will not fuck up Kazushi Sakuraba's name like Todd Grisham did in the middle of the broadcast, who was essentially, basically Sakuraba was sitting in a crowd and the camera panned to him. How did he say it? He was like, we have a Japanese legend inducted into the Hall of Fame, Kazu, Kazushi, Kazusaku, he was fucking it up, and then you could kind of tell the broadcast team was yelling in his ear, and he goes, Kazushi Sakuraba, I'm sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, it's it's weird when, like, you got that kind of position, you don't know a legend like that. I could see that outrage a little bit. But, yeah, you know. Other than that, this fight, um, I, I think I already spoke on it, man. It was a dog fight. Tom... Toothless Tom, I'll refrain from uh, fucking up his last name anymore, so Galicchio. I'll just call him Galicchio. Okay, thank you. Yeah, man, it was a tough fight for him, and uh, he was on the end of uh, a lot of um, lanky, rangy strikes, which, um, you know, which was tough for him to deal with. 
Yeah, and he's a jujitsu guy, and the other thing that he had trouble with in that fight was James Krause isn't bad at jujitsu either, and he's you know pretty good at warding stuff off, and he wasn't as in as much danger as the other tough competitors had with Tom Galicchio in that season. Moving right ahead, uh, Angela Hill gets a win over Ashley Yoder, which was very impressive, Dima, because this looked to be her, you know, best game plan strategy that I've seen from Angela Hill yet. I think we saw textbook Angela Hill, but in a better and, you know, even more refined shape. More uh, strategic approach. Yeah, I mean, her Muay Thai was, the pace was good. She she countered well. She moved around well. Uh, the pacing, like I said, again, was good. And, you know, this was, I think, the best Angela Hill we've seen so far. Yeah, Angela Hill came in as a, you know, $3.5 favorite to Ashley Yoder. However, Ashley Yoder was a little bit slept on. She's got really good jujitsu games. She's a tough girl, and Angela Hill was able to come up with a game plan to, you know, keep the fight in her world and win a majority of the fight, which she did pretty successfully. Yeah, I think when you're taller and you're able to use your reach and range well, it plays a big factor in a lot of fights. I think it plays in, you know, John Jones one of the tallest, lankiest uh, fighters, I think he is the best because he is able to use that reach so well. And, you know, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but we're excited to see the DC and John Jones fight coming up. There are some good promos. Oh, yeah, man. Those, those promos were dope, man. I, I You wouldn't think UFC was going to use all that uh, footage that they did with John Jones being arrested and, you know. Oh, go, yeah, they took it there. Court. But, yeah, they, they went in depth, and I think it's going to get people inter- interested. And what I was texting you about earlier this week, which I, I thought was kind of cool, man, and I'm noticing from WIMG, is they kind of they got this media thing down, Dima. They they know what they're doing with the with the media. That Not only are they doing this, but, like, I, I, I kind of I was like, why do they get Snoop Dogg, man? This doesn't make sense to me. But, like, I thought about it and thought about it, and, like, I looked at the commercial they kept playing for the Contender Series, and my my conclusion was Snoop Dogg is going to, even though he's not a huge MMA fan and he's not bringing a lot of MMA knowledge, he's bringing with him a fan base. Exactly, that, a lot of casuals. And, I mean, these yes. are all great talking points. I do want to get into a lot of all uh, this later as we have um, our kind of talking point section and as well as some news sprinkled in. Uh, I do want to get back into this fight. Um, Angela Hill, you know, I don't want to take... No, uh, I was veering off. I I understand. Let's steer back a little bit to this fight. Angela Hill is coming off of a win here. Where do you think it puts her? You know, she's fought the who's who of the division. Um, There's a lot to be said about her level of competition. Perhaps she was a little bit too green, as she said herself post-interview, but where do you see her fight next? Well, this is a loss and a win now, uh, one versus Andrade, and now win versus Yoder. She called out Rose Namajunas. I'm not positive she's going to get that fight because Rose is pushing for the Joanna fight, which is a definite possibility as well. So I'm not sure where that puts Angela. Maybe... Somebody in Jessica Andrade's level, I don't think a rematch is necessarily warranted for that particular fight, but somebody near near Jessica Andrade's level, Courtney Casey maybe? Perhaps Michelle Watterson would be a good potential matchup as well. 
Yeah, either good choice is, uh, you know, doubtful that she gets Rose. But I think Courtney Casey coming off of suspension, or as you suggested, Michelle Watterson, are both good fights for Angela Hill at this point, who's shown a real improvement in her game. Indeed, Jenny. Moving into the main card portion on Fox Sports 1, the fight that really opened things up was a light heavyweight. Jordan Johnson defeat Marcel Fortuna. Yeah, this was a good fight. Uh, to be honest with you, Dima, I was kind of in and out for this one a little bit, so I missed portions of it. I have been really impressed with Jordan Johnson and his, you know, his size and his wrestling, primarily, which are impressive. And he's able to strike as a big guy, and I think that's what won him the fight, man. He was able to kind of show a little bit more heart than Fortuna and win the later round, and I think he won the first round and the third round. Indeed, I. Myself, I wasn't uh, all there for this fight myself. <laughs> so, yeah, I have that, that in common with you. Was. But but I was attentive to the rest of the fights. Starting off with Brad Tavares versus Ilyas Theodora, which was a, a damn close fight, Dima. Uh, Brad Tavares gets a decision that I didn't necessarily think he deserved. Yeah, man, it was really, really close. And like you, I, it was... It was hard to hard to tell. It was I, I myself. I thought it was going to go in uh, a live stare to favor. Yeah, I thought he was the much busier fighter, but this decision was unanimous. So sometimes you gotta if a decision is unanimous. Sometimes you gotta look at yourself and say, hey, maybe I'm missing something. You know. Maybe sometimes we are biased towards our uh, you know betting picks. That that's also true. Sometimes you kind of count a little bit more for their punches than you do their opponents. Regardless, it was a competitive fight. It was... Speaking of betting picks, man, I got to brag again on Shoot the Ones, man. I only missed three fights this weekend, so I, I was pumped to come on here and talk about them. Hey, man, I mean, I did pretty good myself. Granted, I used a lot of your picks, but uh, I think the only one I missed was the main event that we're thrilled to talk about because, God damn it, it was the, you know definitely an instant contender for fight of the year. I agree, man. That main event was, was the shit, man. I'm really excited to go over it here in a little while. Yep, such eventful weekend. It's hard to uh, stay on topic as we continue to wear off left and right. But another fight in the light heavyweight division. Uh, Jared Cannonier defeats Nick Rorick via TKO elbows in the very end of the fight. Like third round there? Yeah, before that fight, man, it had been a pretty long decision fest after Tisha Torres. But this was a good fight, man. Nick Rorick, he was supposed to be on that contender series, Dima. He came off and, you know, he he fought on pretty short notice against Jared Conanier. And he looked a little bit like a fighter that deserved to be on the contender series and not in the UFC. And I'm not trash talking him. I just think that he's a guy that wasn't ready to take on Jared Conanier in three, four days as was the case with Jared Conanier showed improvement in his movement, his striking. And what I did appreciate about this Nick Rorick kid, Dima, is it seemed like he had a clear strategy on how he was going to win the fight. It didn't work for him. But, like, you could tell his strategy. It was to volume punch and to kind of overwhelm Conanier. It didn't really work. I agree. And really difficult task to beat, you know, a Terminator like Cannoneer, essentially on three four days notice, so it's a tall order, especially for an up and comer and a developing fighter like Rorick. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I'm personally, I'm excited to see where both of them go from here. You know, Cannonier continues to make a good case for himself in this weight division. He had an interesting call out of Gokan Saki there at the end of the fight, to which Saki kind of scoffed at, "Who is this guy calling me out?" <laughs> On Twitter, nonetheless, you know, he's making some waves. He's uh, making some call outs. He's doing all the right things. I agree, and he has had a loss to Glover recently, but Glover's no joke, man, and, you know, he's definitely one of the toughest light heavyweights in the game, and to Nick Rourke's credit, man, he, he's a tough guy, man, he he stayed in there, he, he took a lot of punches, he threw a lot of punches, he probably earned himself a callback, but he does not seem to be of the level that kind of near and a lot of those guys at the top of light heavyweight are he seems to be one of the lower guys in the division moving right ahead what a fight we had next man this is maybe would have been the fight of the night if it wasn't for the main event dracar close defeats mark diacasi by an odd split decision man that definitely should have been unanimous but who cares man the right right guy won it it was an awesome fight What, what are your thoughts my thoughts on this fight, uh, man, it was a good fight for Close. I mean, he came in there and perhaps he was uh, a bit of a uh, too much challenge, too much too soon for Mark Diacasey, who a lot of people thought was going to be the favorite going into this fight. Yeah, I was big on both of these people, and this is probably the episode where I'm going to pat myself on the back more than any episode uh, we've had yet. But, man, I I remember when we first announced this fight, I told people on this podcast, I said, do not sleep on Drakkar Close. He's a hell of a fighter. He trains with Ben Henderson. He's got mean leg kicks, you know, and he can wrestle his ass off. And his skill set was a little bit tough on Dia Casey, who, let's face it, man, English fighters have had trouble grappling, you know, in the wrestling department. We have had a few really good ones out of there. But for the most part, they, they're they not as good yet. And I believe Dia Casey is doing all the right things by going to uh, – he is going to, you know, train with Will Brooks, and he's doing all the right things, Dima. But, you know, it's a tough task when you face a high-level wrestler like Drakkar Close was in, in college, you know, and it showed in this fight. And I feel that uh, the leg kicks hurt Dia Casey. Dia Casey. And it really changed the fight, man. In the first round, he hit him with some leg kicks that just really changed his approach and made the fight a little bit easier for close. Yeah, man. Now, in hindsight, this is kind of a precedent or a foreshadowing of what happened later. Because, man, you know, leg kicks are uh, slept on oftentimes. A very dangerous weapon that just can debilitate people in the very early stages of the fight. And, you know, you can't continue fighting. You can't continue moving right. You will you will shortly falter after that. Yeah, leg kicks are a big part of the game. And the other thing I found interesting in a talking point is, man, the, the beef was real for Drakkar Close. Yeah, like, he was very emotional. <laughs> the fight was over, and he still wanted to get after him. He wanted to get his face and say, hey, in your face, motherfucker, I whooped that ass, boy. You know, that kind All of English shit. fighters suck, that kind of stuff. But with that said, Dima, these guys, you know, they still have a place, man. They, they're they both still big talents. I, I don't think either of their stocks drop too much after this fight. Uh, Drakkar closes goes up a lot, you know. But uh, I don't think Diakisi falls too far down, man. I think he kind of stays put and fights another high-level guy next. And 
We'll see a little bit more of what he has to offer and what improvements he makes in his game. Yeah, man. Both guys are young. You know, the ceiling is high for both of them. I agree, man. This was definitely a prospect versus prospect fight where two undefeated guys were going at it. And unfortunately, one guy had to lose, you know. Indeed. In the next bout, the tough finale, we saw Jesse Taylor defeat Diego Lima in a second round submission via rear naked choke. I watched the whole season of The Ultimate Fighter this time, and Jesse Taylor was, you know, he was the guy I was rooting for, Dima, because he's he had it tough, man. If you remember his season of Ultimate Fighter, he never even, he made it to the finals, but he didn't get to fight because he acted a damn fool. Yep. You know, so his redemption story was probably bigger than anybody. Dana sat him in a room and was like, what's wrong with you, man? You're not going to be able to fight for us. You, you, you got mental issues. You're a loose cannon. To, to that, he didn't say exactly those words, but it was to that extent, you know what I mean? And to see this guy not only get better, you know, we saw, like, now he's a grizzled vet, you know, and what has he got, like 50 fights now, 51 fights. And he took some hard losses outside of the UFC, man. He took some, We saw him take some knocks. And we kind of kept up with his career. And Diego Lima's a really nice guy, good guy, you know, had a good fight with Ricky back in the day. But I, I really wanted Jesse Taylor to win, man. And it was a good redemption story for the season of tough redemption. Exactly. I mean, the title of the season, Redemption, just fits the bill. It fits the story perfectly here with Jesse. As you said, you know, he had a he has a crazy story. He has a, you know, Tough comeback, you know, he comes from uh, another season of tough, didn't make the show, didn't make the cut, and had a crazy career outside of UFC, where he was what we like to call a traveling fighter there for a minute, fought several different organizations, and, you know, did his thing. So it's good to see him come in and finally get some shine, get some money, and, uh, you know, really put a exclamation point on his career there. Well said, Dima. You want to talk about this crazy main event? Speaking of exclamation point, I think this puts exclamation point on the whole weekend. I mean, the debut of Justin Gagey lived up to every single bit of the hype we had going into this. Yeah, man. It was everything it was billed to be, Dima. You know, Gagey, he's made a name for himself in World Series of Fighting as being just this highlight kid that goes out there and, you know, he takes knocks. But he comes forward and, he, you know, he, he's super aggressive. And you wanted to see if he was going to bring that style against Michael Johnson. And that's exactly what he did. And Gaethje's never been in a boring fight. And th- this was definitely fight of the night. Fight of the night, perhaps fight of the year. Man, it was a barn burner. It was everything that we as MMA fans, you know, glamour for. And this is the type of shit that we get excited about. Like you said, there was a lot of questions about Justin Gagey if he was able to, you know, keep up this these crazy berserker-like performances going into UFC, and this fight, you know, for sure answered every single question. Yes, he can do it. He can hang in there with the best. He can continue his way of fighting. You know, this reckless, almost Vanderlei Silva-like style, and you know, he was able to come out with a victory over a high-caliber opponent like Michael Johnson. 
I agree, Dima, and you bring up a good point, and this is what I loved about it, man. Justin Gaethje, did, did, like, they respected what he did outside of the UFC, so he came in there and got a serious contender. I mean, Michael Johnson's not the best the UFC has to offer a lightweight, but he's got some serious skills, as you highlighted on the last show, and that showed in this fight. I mean, he almost finished Gaethje twice himself. This was a real back-and-forth barn burner, man, but Gaethje just, that's his style. He He takes shots to give them. And his wrestling is superb, so he doesn't have to worry about the other guys wrestling too much. And he's got really good arsenal of striking. He's got great leg kicks. He's got an uppercut. You know, he's got good hands. He's an interesting opponent for a lot of UFC fighters. I mean, let's talk about this fight first, but then let's talk about kind of how he matches up with the other guys in this division because he's obviously probably going to get a top five opponent next, beating the number five guy you know, having having so much hype around his name, he probably gained a lot of casuals in in that fight alone. Sure. Um, the matchup itself uh, went a little bit surprising. I off the bat, Michael Johnson uh, came over over the top with a right and caught him with a very good counter. Gagey just shrugged it off in typical Justin Gagey style and continued plodding forward. Uh, he began opening up with his leg kicks, which, as I mentioned earlier, is a uh, you know, a crucial part of his strategy. I, I believe he had several like TKOs in prior organizations. So it's one of his more dangerous weapons. He he kicks the shit out of your legs. So he started chopping away the legs. And then at the end of the first round, Michael Johnson caught a really clean counter. I think he landed a left hook on him, was able to take Justin Gagey down and had him really, really hurt there towards the end. Despite that, you know, Gagey being the warrior he is, went back into his corner like nothing happened and, you know, came out the second round like that knockdown or, you know, didn't even happen. Now, the second round is where the story began to change a little bit. The momentum began shifting in Justin Gagey's favor as he kept pushing forward, kind of in a very similar fashion to what, how we saw Michael Johnson and Nate Diaz fight. Nate continued pushing forward, and Michael Johnson is not as good, you know, um, off of his back feet, making fast decisions when he's being pushed with such pace as he is when he gets to dictate the distance and his counters. So that, in combination with the leg kicks it really started wearing him down. And despite him landing on Gagey and rocking him one more time in the second round, if I recall correctly, this is where uh, Gagey started to uh, put a hurting on him. That he did, Dima. And, you know, this was an impressive victory for Gagey. Not without risk like all of his fights. Yeah, uh, there was some criticism. I did not think Michael Johnson was going to engage in such a crazy brawl like this he you know he played exactly into Justin Gagey's you know favorite strategy and you know he he got caught in that you know honey trap so to speak Justin Gagey man he takes a lot of risks and you know of course he he took a lot of shots he got countered all day by you know some things that Michael Johnson's really good at that left counter I think he caught he ate a couple of uppercuts too so you know, it's it's exciting as shit, but how long is uh, that kind of a performance 
uh, and uh, ability to take punishment, how long that's going to continue for, that remains to be answered. And, you know, Gagey is conscious of it. You know, he says, you know, my clock is, you know, running out, considering this is the way that I fight. So it's, you know, it's crazy to see and enjoy it while it's here, folks, because this is something special. I agree, and he he definitely, like you said, he admits such. But he also admitted that he's a promoter's wet dream in that same interview. And, you know, he's a real special character, man. He comes in there, and he's going to swing and bang, as Derek Lewis likes to say. And Michael Johnson, man, he brought his A game. You know, you could tell that's what he wanted to do. But, like, what you were talking about, you know, bring a more composed strategy, not brawl. But that's just the fight that Gaethje drags people into. And I was kind of surprised I was able to get him at an underdog line. I remember texting you when I got him at plus 140. I, I was like, oh, man, I feel like I'm stealing money. And it, it did kind of end that way. I know I've been patting myself on the back a lot this episode. That's <laughs> maybe the third time. Nevertheless, you know, there were a few times in this fight where he could have also gone down, which you, you, you pointed out as well. Yep. I mean, he's got the granite chin. It's it's uh, keeps him moving forward. It keeps him putting such pressure on his opponents that they don't have enough time to react. And that definitely played a part in his ability to draw Michael Johnson into this brawl that, you know, he excels in. Very well said. And that was a hell of a main event, man. It's going to be hard to beat that. The UFC stayed in the same arena the T-Mobile Arena in Nevada, for another event. You know, it got double attendance. It was UFC 213 on Saturday. Yep, the Las Vegas got to see a back-to-back with the UFC. Yeah, they were really lucky, but at the same time, it was unfortunate. We did have a new main event, and the the main event fell through. Yep, not without some controversy. Uh, Unfortunately, Amanda Nunez was out very last minute against her fight with Valentina Shevchenko, which both me and Jania were very excited to see. I think this was going to be one of the highest technical women fight well matchups in maybe in, ever. You know, history of women's fighting perhaps. However, we did get to see um another main event that was you know, it lived up to to all the hype expectation and it was definitely a worthy main event. Yeah, we had some fun fights uh, we'll get into right after talking about why the main event fell out. But uh, Amanda Nunez did release a statement, Dima, and she said it was chronic sinusitis, which is basically a fancy word for sinuses. And I wanted to give her the pass so bad because this girl is tough. She's never pulled out of a fight. And... What I do appreciate is that this fight is still going to happen. You know, Dana White's kind of pissed. He's not going to do a main event again, he says, with Amanda Nunez, which let, let's let's see. You know, Dana Dana bluffs a lot. He He's a, a promoter, so his part of his job is to lie. But at the same time, you know, this really was hard for me, man. I was really excited, as you said, about this fight and hear that she was she pulled herself out due to something that I've struggled with my whole life, you know, and that you could probably get over and that she was cleared by the UFC doctors. It's disappointing, man. It's really disappointing. I I, th- I think it's Shevchenko's time, 
and I thought that she had a good chance of capturing the belt. But I respect Amanda Nunez. I respect her game a lot. I think she's one of the top four females in the game. But I do. I'm excited about this rematch. I'm disappointed it didn't happen. Yeah. Likewise, uh, I'm disappointed. I did want to see Valentina Shevchenko get a, get another crack at Amanda Nunez this time in a different uh, format. That being a five round fight for the championship belt. This is likely going to be a rematch, and they will, you know, schedule it down the road, perhaps fall. So, I don't know. But I want I want to get started with the card, man. We had a lot of exciting fights, and starting off the pre- or the preliminary card had really impressive victories from Trevin Giles and Cody Staman uh, Dima, especially Trevin Giles, who was especially impressive. Yeah, very impressive showing from Travis Giles. Defeats James Bokanovic in second round via TKO punches. Yeah, Dima. This was really impressive. Trevin Giles came out of legacy fighting, and he was their middleweight champion. And this fight was at light heavyweight because a lot of these guys in the preliminary card, actually all of these guys, they all took fights on really short notice. And James Bokanovic who I probably butchered his names, but James trains with uh, Ben Rothwell. So he was also, you know, undefeated prospect, and Tre- Trevin Giles gave him that work, Dima. He was, you know, his wrestling was too much, and he was doing some innovative stuff like throwing fake fake right elbow and hitting him with the left elbow. It was really impressive. Nice, man. I'm not going to fake the funk. I did not happen to catch the UFC fight pass, but I did start watching around um the Bilal Muhammad Jordan main fight. So if you wanna add anything about the Cody Staman, Terry and Ware fight. Yeah, not a ton, Dima, but Cody Staman and Terry and Ware were those rare uh UFC debutants who had a ton of experience. Both guys did. And probably both deserve to be in the UFC for a while. These guys fought at Featherweight. Uh next fight for both guys will be at Flyweight. And Stamon showed a solid advantage in his game over Terion Ware, just being kind of the quicker fighter and, you know, having good striking skills as well, training with Darren Kirkshank. However, Terion Ware did get an advantage of him in part of the fight with the, with the stand-up. And like you said, right after that fight, Bilal Muhammad uh, defeated Jordan Mean 29-28, 29-28, and 30-27. Yeah, man, it was a pretty competitive fight. This was a pretty tough fight for Bilal Muhammad coming into it and you know he was able to to overcome another challenge I agree Dima and I I had picked Bilal Muhammad in this fight but what was impressive about him in this fight is he he started off pretty even between him and Jordan Main at the beginning but he he realized that he needed to change his strategy and he was able to in game you know in fight change his strategy and really pressure Maine and make the fight really uncomfortable for Maine where he showed to be a better grinder than Jordan. Yeah, he was able to outposition him and ultimately towards the end, uh, I, th- I think he slowly, the slow grind, you know, he he was able to impose his, his will there and ultimately come out with a win. Moving into the next bout, in the middleweight division, Thiago Santos defeats Gerald Mearshart via TKO punches in the second round. This was a fun fight, Dima. Tiago came in with, you know, this new huge tattoo of a hammer on his chest. And you got to be a badass to have a hammer on your chest like that. And Gerald Mearshart, 
was a true veteran, you know, with a lot of respect, a very respected jiu-jitsu game. And you knew the strategy coming into this one was Tiago Santos wanted to bang while Mearshart wanted to get it in his jiu-jitsu game. And, you know, you can appreciate the growth in Santos's game. He, he was able to get in some uncompromising positions by Mearshart on the ground, and he was able to use his athleticism to kick off and escape all those positions. Yep, you summed it up. Every time he was in uh, in a situation that was in trouble, he got himself out of there pretty fast and ultimately was got the better of his opponent with the strikes. And proved to still, you know, have a very dangerous punching game and get a lot of knockouts, man. This this guy is a scary, scary puncher, man, with a lot of knockouts to his name and a, a real, real highlight reel. Yeah, and he's been around for a minute, too. Well said, man. It's nice to see his game evolving. Moving ahead, man, we had a welterweight fight where, I don't know about you, Demo, but I wasn't expecting Brian Camozzi to have such a huge size advantage over Chad LaPreece. But LaPree was able to still get the victory here. Yeah, I think that was the only advantage he had throughout the whole fight was the, was the size. Yeah, I, th- I thought he won the second round, though. You know, he, it was more competitive than we initially thought thought but man we kind of like we we we've shitted on Kamozi before kind of unfairly so yeah i don't think we've been overly impressed with either Kamozi's skills but i thought Kamozi was able to use his size very well and win the second round after losing the first to Laprie and Laprie came out in the third with that nasty body shot man and you could tell he'd been practicing and he told Joe after the fight he'd been practicing that body shot and it was game over after that and it shut down oh excuse me liver shot he hit him perfect in the liver and it shut down Kamozi's body but I, I do give Kamozi credit. He was a more game opponent than I expected, and Laprie was the biggest favorite on this card. So he was he was expected to win. Yeah, Boss Rutten would approve it. The liver shot is the the other knockout button. The interesting thing about this was he uh, hit him on the liver with his right hand, which is kind of the opposite side because typically uh, you, you go to the liver with a left hook. So the way he did it was interesting. And, uh, yeah, Joe did uh, give him props after that in his post-fight interview. Moving into the next bout of the night in heavyweight division, Alexei Olenek defeats Travis Brown via rear naked choke. Well, it was kind of a a weird choke, but let's let's go a rear naked choke for now. In the second round, kind of a trend here with second round finishes, huh? Yeah, to to start off, I, I agree completely that it was a weird choke. But Alexei Olenek is known for weird chokes, man. He's probably got the most varied arsenal of chokes in the MMA game, especially a heavyweight. And But this was a fight Travis Brown was supposed to win, man. This fight has a ton of talking points because Travis Brown came out looking pretty good. He looked like some of that you know training he'd been doing outside of Edmund been helping. However, something I noticed, Dima, and something that I find bothersome to him, yeah, this is four losses in a row, which what I find even more troublesome than that, Dima, is he really now, when he gets hit hard, like the whole fight turns for him. It's basically what Derek Lewis called him out for. Like when he gets hit hard, he gets the baby deer legs. It might just be from being tall, being like 6'8", but when, when he gets rocked in a fight, 
it changes the game for him, man. He's never the same. He can never get his feet under him and throw his athletic strikes. He's not the same fighter after he gets clipped. And Alexei Olenek, to his credit, was able to clip him. Even being the, you know, super impressive grappler that Alexei is, you know, what's he got, 60 wins now with 10 losses? Probably even more than that. I think it's just the 63rd win with yeah, 10 just losses. Yeah, a grizzled vet, man. I mean, as seasoned as they come, his resume is impressive. But that aside, he lives up to his nickname uh, like no other fighter. He has one of the most diverse, crazy submission arsenal, and he is nicknamed the Boar Constrictor. So, you know, we saw him pull off, like, the historic first Ezekiel choke in MMA uh, being on the bottom, mounted. In the UFC. In the UFC. Uh, He'd done it many times outside of the UFC, actually, too. Indeed. He's done it standing, I believe, against the cage, which he he was trying to set that up uh, in in the clinch against the cage a couple of times against Travis. He kept kind of doing the can opener on him. He was doing a lot of weird things. Like, this guy is a unique grappler. Yeah, another talking point I took out of this is Travis Brown, man, his career has gone downhill since he left Greg Jackson. It's it's been rough, and where does he go from here, Dima? I mean, I think he stays around just because he, I think... He's got that Rousey connection. Not only that, but, I mean, he's fought, though. Dude, he's fought the toughest of the tough fights. I mean, he's, he's lost to... Uh, like you know, Canes, and you know, you, you're he basically. I think he gets another sh- shot because of the calibers of opponents he fought. I see exactly what you're saying. I'm, I'm even sitting here thinking of some of these wins he had, man, and they've been super impressive. Before this recent run of just getting his ass kicked, I mean, he, you know, he was able. I think Bigfoot fight after Bigfoot fight it changed, but he was able to knock out Barnett real impressively over him, you know, really respected guys in the MMA game. And he looked like a possible future champion. And since the, I hate to call it this, but since the whole Ronda Rousey thing and moving with Edmund, it's, it's been downhill from there. His game hasn't progressed. He hasn't looked like the champion material. In fact, a lot of holes in his game have been exposed. Where do you think he goes from here? I know Dana was calling for him to retire. I, I'm not a fan of telling a guy to retire, but he, he's got to restart somewhere. You know, He's got to figure things out or, or pick, pick something else to do. He, he fought Skyscraper before? Yeah, he beat. He knocked him out in a very impressive fashion. Yeah, that was that, not that one was of where those. Stefan Strew went for one of those flying knees. I think that was still in the phase of Stefan Stefan Struve's career, where he was learning. Uh, maybe throwing flying knees isn't the best thing for me. Rematch with Derek Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that tweet that I texted you? Uh, yeah. Derek Lewis said after he said, he "Keep sh- his name out of his mouth." They, these guys really don't like each other. That's why I said. I mean, there is there is legit beef between the two. And both coming off of losses. Both saying disrespectful shit to each other. Yeah, maybe. Very well. Winnable fight, you know, for both of them. I agree. And moving ahead, man, the main card was pretty fun, man. Like you said, the the main event, man, we, we got a ton to talk about there. But starting off at Bantamweight, Rob Font had a super impressive performance versus Douglas Silva de Andrade, 
who's no slouch, man. His Muay Thai game is pretty solid. But Rob Font was able to show a lot of improvements in his game. Yeah, man. It was a very impressive performance from Rob Fawn. You know, he came in there. He was dominant in a lot of aspects of the fight. He came in and imposed his will and, you know, ultimately in the second round got that guillotine choke, which was pretty clean. Yeah, I agree, man. There weren't too many moments where Douglas Silva D'Andrade had success. And when he strapped on that guillotine choke, he showed that he had a really impressive choke and he was able... You know, he, he grabbed it, he knew he had it, and he got slammed by D'Andrage, and he never let go of the choke, which was really impressive. He, he was real confident in it and was able to finish D'Andrage and get a really impressive win in the Bantamweight division. For sure. In the next fight, Jim Miller welcomed Anthony Pettis back to the lightweight division in what was a you know, back-and-forth fight at first, but ultimately Anthony Pettis showed why he was the ex-champion of you know multiple organizations and put on a pretty good textbook Anthony Pettis performance yeah vintage Anthony Pettis and I'm glad to see him back at lightweight this is where he belongs you could tell you know he was having a ton of trouble getting down to 145 and he you you finally got to see the Anthony Pettis that you're used to and maybe it was the speed difference with him and Jim Miller he was able to utilize that speed difference and pretty much win every round versus Jim Miller. But you know you're always going to get a fun fight with either of these guys, Anthony Pettis or Jim Miller, man. They're two two of the, you know, gritty veterans that we love in this game and you know, they always bring it. There's not a fight I can remember that wasn't fun with either guy. Yeah, man. I was just going back and looking at Anthony's record yesterday, uh, well, day before yesterday and getting hyped for this fight and I was like man I've been watching this guy fight since I think 2009 2010 around the time WC got bought and he came into the fold with the UFC but even before that that impressive fight with Benson he had where he threw that kick anyway so I'm just reminiscing you said he's a veteran and like no, I, like Jim Jim Miller no, I completely agree, man. Pettis is, you know, he's been around, and what I appreciate about his game is even in the loss to Holloway, he, he, he always brings it, and he's got a complete arsenal. He's good everywhere, man. His jiu-jitsu is scary. His striking is really good, and he's all around, and it gave Jim a ton of problems in this fight. So mainly what I was trying to say is I, I'm, it's really good to see Anthony Pettis back in his form. You know, he's not killing himself to... Uh, get to a lower weight class and uh, this is kind of a trend a lot of people are learning more about weight cutting and aren't putting themselves in such positions to where they're fighting slightly diminished because of the weight cut yeah Pettis even said as such after after the fight in the interview he said hey if you're a fighter out there you know fight at your natural weight class there's no need to you know kill yourself to get to the weight class where you have a huge advantage or perceived huge advantage rather Great fight. Uh, coming up, man, we had two heavyweight fights that didn't bring the same kind of heat as Anthony Pettis versus Jim Miller, man. They, they weren't as, as good of fights, but we'll, we'll still highlight them a little bit. Curtis Blades got a pretty obvious decision victory over Daniel Omelenchik. However, it, you know, that was a really boring fight, Dima. There wasn't a whole lot of impressive times. Uh, Curtis Blades was able to win mostly off of like a Randy Couture type strategy of being a better wrestler and getting not 
he never got the takedown. He was stuffed nine times, but he was able to get him in the grinding on the fence positions throughout the fight, and that's how he won by a better position and better position time. I couldn't have said it better myself. It was not the most exciting and definitely got the, got the crowd anxious, but I do want to highlight Daniel's ability to prevent the takedown. I think that was very impressive considering Blady's... You know, he he's still a little bit of green coming in the division, but he's a big dude. I mean, he was... In his last fights, he pretty handily took down his competition, except for maybe Francis, who's another freak of nature on his own. Yeah, it was unexpected, especially considering he took out his last opponent, Milstead, 8 out of 8, and 0 for 9 versus Daniel Omelenchik. And probably something a young fighter like Blades has to get in his career you know feel some adversity in there he can't just he can't just go in there and run through everybody nevertheless he's an impressive prospect that we should still keep an eye out for exactly and he's staying humble he got on there and he said he's got a lot of things to learn he's got ways to go and you know he's just coming up and doing his thing and he, he taking it slow still learning a lot and it's it's refreshing to see he's not you know it, it was uh a slow fight yeah, I agree. It was a slow fight and not the most exciting fight. In the next heavyweight bout, Alistar Overeem defeats Fabricio Verdum in what was a pretty close decision fight. This was their third in the series. A, kind of a rubber match, right? Yes, this was their trilogy, Dima. And that kind of made for a boring fight, you know what I mean? And I, I hate using that word because guys give it their all. They train their asses off for these fights. And boring is not a good descriptive word. But, it, you know, I expected more. However, due to the aura of these guys, it was still somewhat exciting. But I feel like they knew each other's games really well. And it, it made for a more tentative fight. Tentative is more of a term I'd be cool with. I, I don't think it was a boring fight. I think their second fight was a lot more boring because there was a lot more shenanigans in there, you know, lots more flopping from Verdum, inviting the ground game, which I, never happened. I agree, man. Both both these guys know each other real well, so Overeem knew the spots that he couldn't get during the fight, and Verdum knew the spots where he didn't want to get. And... What was able to happen was they were able to kind of speed up the action in the second round. So like you said, the fight did kind of gain some excitement. Verdum was even able to almost finish him in the third round. I see where you come from, though. Like, the first round was probably a round where Verdum was kicking himself over in the head for uh, because I think both guys threw, like, under 10 strikes it each. Was, it was 11. Combined? Seven, seven for Verdum and four for Overeem. See, it was 11 combined strikes. So how do you judge that when Verdum uh, lands, you know, lots of kicks? He lands like two solid body kicks. And Overeem, even though he lands less shots, he lands two to the head. Two good ones to the head. So that's a, that's a weird one. I think I'll, I'll go with two shots to the head. And, you know, that's a little bit more significant to me. And that's, that's just my opinion. I agree, and maybe I'm harsh, Dima, because Alistair is one of my favorite fighters by far, and you know this. You, yeah. you know I'm a huge fan of Alistair. Yeah, and I'm and not. I'm just seeing it objectively, actually. Just... That's fair, and, and I'm rarely a fan of many fighters. I just, I, I've always kept up with him. You know, I've he's one of those guys that has 50 fights, so 
he's got you know a long library of fights that is when you keep up with a guy for that long, you kind of appreciate what he does. And same for Verdum, you know, this was a fight between what I consider legends and you knew it was going to bring the heat. And like I texted you immediately after this fight, man, people are going to be upset about the decision either way. It was such a close fight. Could have gone really either way. That first round, like you said, what the heck do you do? You score seven on this side, four on this side, but the four punches from Overeem seemed to be more effective than the seven, and he got a takedown. You know, it's like little variables like that do play a little bit of a role. He didn't do anything off that takedown, but hey, he, he got a takedown. It, it was a round with barely any offense. Yeah, so this first one is, is you know, is going to go down to be the, the disputed one. Second round, not so much. I mean, second round, he turns up the heat and starts, you know... He being over him, right? He being over him, he starts giving it to Verdum. You know, he starts putting together more combinations. He opens up and, and lands on Verdum, knocks him down several times. Verdum pulls a guard after he he's in trouble, I think once or twice during this. And then the tables turn in a third where Verdum is able to land something really clean on Overeem and end the round in the top position. Yeah, he landed that clean knee on him. However, Dima, did you think he made a mistake when I think there was two minutes left in that round, third round, and, you know, Overeem had gotten a little bit of the better of the first two rounds, possibly the first round, like we said, and definitely the second round. He had him in a ton of trouble, and instead of going for the knockout, Dima, he went back to, you know, what he's used to and he got in the top position he grappled where Overeem was able to kind of hold him for the rest of the round and it ruined the opportunity that Verdum had to finish the fight yes after he had him in trouble after he rocked him essentially he chose to take Overeem down instead of continue the onslaught so to answer your question yes I think that was a mistake but at the same time I'm not Fabricio Verdum I don't know where his energy levels were at the time so, and he might have thought he won the first round, but maybe you can't really, as a fighter, bank on that. If you got an opportunity to finish your guy like he did there, you kind of got to. I mean, he maybe it was a controversial decision, whatever, but he kind of lost the right to bitch because he had a great opportunity there to finish him, and he chose to grapple, even though he may be the best grappler to ever compete at MMA and definitely in the heavyweight division. I I, I personally take Maya as the best MMA guy, but nevertheless, to, to my point, he, he's definitely the best heavyweight jiu-jitsu player to ever compete. It was a dope fight, nonetheless. It was a very close fight, and it was one of those that, you know, a lot of people don't want to see fights go beyond the rubber match, the trilogy. Uh, you know, this is a fight that could happen again a year or so down the road, and, Ooh. you know... No, you you don't want to see it. No thanks, man. I am all right with a Overeem Verdum four. I think it's very unnecessary. Uh, Just to put a little more of a conclusion uh, on uh, it, because look, UFC uh, judging Overeem takes this two to one. I think pride judging the way it ends, it plays a lot into how the fights are scored. And I know we don't, you know, I don't want to live in a good old era of pride, but I, th- I always considered their way of judging fights to be a little bit more accurate to how fights should be judged. Dima, th- this is not Bellator, man. The people do not want to see guys fight four and five times. But they're in good form, dude. The, they're not old and two, past their prime. Their last two fights, they went more off of the aura of who they were. Um, 
you know, they're real tentative around each other. They respect each other's games a ton. I really just don't want to see these guys fight a hundred times. And I, I think it, I, I would venture to guess, and I, I would I would dare say I'm right, that you are in the very small minority of people that want to see Overeem Verdun for. Well, hey, Maybe write to a us. Ha- handful of people. And let us know <laughs> how you feel because, hey, I mean, I don't think this the way – this fight played out and ended. It was like a almost a draw. I might want to see Whitaker Romero too. I don't want to see uh, Verdum versus o- Overeem for no way. And I, I would venture hey man, to it's say cool to disagree. Mo- mo- most fans are with me on that one. I, w- I would venture to guess. It's cool to have difference of opinion. Absolutely, man. That's that's always fun. But speaking of Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero, what a main event did that make? I enjoyed it, man. It was a hell of a fight. Uh, one of the best fights of the night. I think Romero definitely hurt him when it changed to a five-rounder because he was able to get the advantage of the first two rounds. He, he, I believe it was the first round, Demo, where he hit Robert with one of those kicks John Jones uses to the knee Yep, and kind of messed up uh, Robert Whitaker's knee for the rest of the fight pretty much. What was impressive, Dima, is he was able to kind of get his game back, you know, even with the leg messed up, and outlast Romero and prove that he's got the better cardio and show an impressive takedown defense game in in this fight. Yeah, man. I mean, what a warrior Robert Whitaker is. Despite having a bummed knee, um, you know, he was able to overcome the adversity. Uh, He was able to overcome the onslaught that Yoel Romero brought in the first two rounds. And Yo Romero was so tired, he took a round off there during third, and <laughs> it was it was kind of crazy to see. He pretty much uh, uh, made it blatant that he was going to conserve his energy he, uh, until uh, another round. So he kind of started giving away, and he started showing signs, giving Robert Whitaker the signs that, hey, the momentum is now swinging in, in your favor. Make something of it, which Robert Whitaker did. Those are interesting talk points, and I, I remember I told you prior to the fight that part of the way Romero fights is he kind of lets his opponent have success before, you know, really giving it to him. But he's a little bit older competitor. He's not used to the five rounds. And something about Robert Whitaker that I, I really have learned to appreciate, and I'm sure that there's only a handful of people like, you know, you had the opinion of people that want to see Overeem Verdum for Probably only a handful of people believed that Whitaker was actually going to be a champ one day. When he was on the tough smashes, you know, he looked like an okay prospect with good hands. You know, he wasn't, he had a mediocre welterweight run, but he's looked unstoppable at middleweight, man. And I would never think I would say this, but I would favor Robert Whitaker even over Gegard Musasi. I probably favor him over Bisbing. Yeah, man. I mean, it's a. Uh... Stylistically, a terrible matchup for Bisbing because essentially he is Bisbing, but he does everything better and he's younger and a little bit faster and a little bit less wear and tear. Y- you know, you're you're right in that sense that everybody slept on him. I think I slept on him until the Bronson fight, and then going into the Jacare fight, I, was, uh, I thought this was going to be very interesting, but it was going to be a very dangerous fight for him. But as soon as I saw how great his takedown defense was, the improvement in 
in that field, uh, that kind of really opened up my eyes to how dangerous and well-rounded of a fighter he has grown to be. Yeah, on this recent run of success for him, man, he's kind of shown Dima to be a master game plan and strategist. Wouldn't you say he came in against Yakare and he was fully prepared for the jiu-jitsu? He, he, like, he knows he's going to get in those positions. Like He went against Romero, in my opinion, by far the best wrestler at middleweight and probably the best wrestler in MMA, barring maybe Daniel Cormier. Just, just like uh, along with accomplishments outside of the UFC, he, he's he's the most accomplished actually. And the way he uses his wrestling is is mostly defensive, which lends in the the, the sprawl and brawl style of of uh, of the fight he brings, because he's really accurate with his punches. So it it, it plays into that excellently. Whitaker was able. To defend all of Romero's, not all of his takedowns, he was taken down in the fight, you know what I mean? But he showed that he's able to defend Yoel Romero's best takedowns. And he he made, like, a little bit, Romero was a little bit too unpredictable for himself, you know? He got, he was giving Whitaker his success, like you said. But he would find himself in uncompromising positions. Like, one time I remember he was on his knees, just standing there eating punches from Whitaker. And Whitaker was basically able to outclass him the last three rounds with the hands. And I kind of disagree with you about Bisbing. I don't think that it's a complete blowout match. You know what I mean? I respect Bisbing a lot. And I, I think that he's the, the one advantage he has over Whitaker is he's a little bit better of a pressure fighter. However, they both, th- this might be the best striking matchup that I could possibly think of at middleweight. Maybe Gegard up there too is a really good striker at middleweight. But other than that, these two are probably the best. And it makes for a really interesting fight. Um, is Bisbing going to be able to pressure Whitaker and make him have mistakes? Whitaker being the master game planner that he is, you know, is he going to be completely ready for Bisbing's game like he was Romero and Yacarez? He's got some healing to do, you know, he's got a injury to tend, but man, this is just going to be tough, 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 tough. I think in trying to avoid Yoel Romero fight, Michael Bisbing earned himself a fight that's even tougher than Yoel Romero, because now essentially you have a person that knocked him off the rankings with a bummed knee. Yeah, I, I don't think Michael Bisping ever avoided a Romero fight. I mean, it's probably no secret that... Well, he, prefer, he preferred the GSP to the Romero fight. Yeah, and actually, to Bisping's credit, he's called many times on his podcast that Robert Whitaker would take out Romero. With that said, I, I do think Romero is a little bit tougher opponent for Bisping. And you got to give Romero his credit. He won those first two rounds. If it was a three-round fight, he would have won that fight. You know, maybe Romero's not made for five rounders. It kind of the the five round main event is not a thing that benefits a guy like Yoel. However, Robert Whitaker is a heck of a prospect, man. He keeps impressing people. You know what I mean? He he got his leg hurt, but he was able to come back, weather the storm of Yoel Romero, and really dominate in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, getting a really impressive victory. Yeah, man. One thing I do like about this is this is pretty much no controversy. The whole world saw it as the same. You know, Yoel Romero first two, Robert Whitaker 
aka Bobby Knuckles takes last three as the momentum swings in the third round. Yoel gets tired, you know, starts coasting a little bit, and Robert Whitaker cranks on. The Heat continues, you know, plotting forward, defending the takedown, starts landing the better shots, and yeah, man, this what a what a war. I mean, we were treated to some really good fights this weekend. I agree, man, and I wouldn't be too shocked if you saw a rematch of this in the future. You know, Romero's not going to fall too far down the rankings. We might see a Whitaker-Romero too, man. This this was that good of a fight. And this weekend, man, the main events really delivered, huh, Diva? Yeah, man, just, you know, both cards really brought the heat. And like I said in our intro, I, I kind of wish we got to talk about all of this in our in our big 20 episode. But it's all good. Our twenty one twenty one is gonna be pretty strong. Twenty one, twenty one. But uh getting back to the podcast, man. <laughs> we you know, we're kinda lucky, man. We we had two weeks in a row with really good MMA, man, and this UFC two thirteen card was really solid. Tough had a great, you know, main event and parts of that card were really exciting. Overall, man, the weekend I would give it a A. It would be an A plus if we had Shevchenko Nunez. Yep. Fortunately, we get to see that fight down the road. I don't know exactly when. Nothing official yet, but they're going to do it. Something something tells me that it's going to happen. Yeah. We were really lucky to get treated to two great weeks of MMA in a row. I, I would give this weekend a little bit of the edge, but last weekend was a blast, you know, with Bellator 180 as well. Right after this break, we're going to go over UFC Fight Night 113, Nelson versus Ponzanibio. Hey guys, do you like to chat? Join me in Morning Chat with Dim, my other show from Shoot the Ones podcast, where we discuss a variety of topics in a more laid-back live chat format. We can be found on the same YouTube channel as our show, or PlayStation 4 if you're a gamer. Rise and shine in the mornings with Dim, on Mondays and Wednesdays. Welcome back, you bad motherfuckers, as we go into UFC Fight Night 113, Nelson versus Ponzinibbio. Yeah, man, this has a really good main event, but this is a risky fight for Gunnar Nelson, going against a really good striker and a good fighter overall in Ponzinibbio. Yeah, guys, we're not going to get into the whole review of the card, but we are eager to talk about a few of the matchups here in particular, um, most of them off of the main card. Yeah, I agree. There's a couple of really exciting fighters on this card that we, we would like to highlight, but we're not going to be monotone in talking about the whole card, especially considering there's some fighters that we don't know a ton about. Indeed. I'm interested about Khalil Roundtree, uh, Paul, the Bear Jew Craig. I think that's going to be an interesting matchup. Yeah, there's some interesting names on here, man. Like, you get to see David Timor's brother, Pantoho's on the preliminary card. Like you said, Khalil Roundtree versus the Bear Jew is on this card. But, you know, a ton of the fights aren't overly impressive besides at the very top of the card. So we'll get right into that with lightweight divisions, Stevie Ray versus Paul Felder. Yeah, that that's a good one to start off with. Um, that's a good fight between strikers. Stevie Ray's showing an ever improving game, 
and Paul Felder's got one of the more most dangerous Muay Thai games in MMA. You know, training there with Donald Cerrone. Maybe a stress to say in MMA, but he is one of the best strikers in that division, at least. I favor Stevie Ray slightly in this fight, but man, this is really a toss-up fight, and anybody could win. Just looking at the record of the both, Stevie Ray is impressive coming off of a two-fight win streak against Joe Lozon, being one, Rose Pearson. And prior to that, he got dominated by that jiu-jitsu guy. Alan Pat. Alan yeah, Patrick. Patrick. Indeed. Paul Felder, on the other hand, is uh, is an impressive up-and-comer with a very diverse striking game and an impressive showing in his last fight against Alexandro Ricci, where he finished the fight with elbows and punches via very first round. Yeah, Ricci's a little bit lower-ranked opponent than Stevie Ray, but Felder was able to finish him in super impressive fashion and hit him with everything but the kitchen sink, pretty much. That aside, and the Francisco Trinaldo loss, he has wins over Josh Berkman and Darren Krukshank, who are both worthy competitors. Yeah, I like this fight, man. I think it's a really good fight. It's going to be unpredictable. It's going to be a good class-striking affair. It's, it's going to be a fun fight to watch. Yeah, man. These guys is what makes lightweight divisions one of the most deep, shark-infested waters as far as weight classes go. Yeah, that's a heck of a fight, Dima. I'm looking forward to it, man. Can't wait. Right after then is another can't-miss fight. Joanne Calderwood, fighting in her hometown of Scotland, is taking on the female Diego Sanchez. I mean, this girl, how can you not love Cynthia Calvillo, who just brings it, you know, she bites down on her mouthpiece, and, and she's just real aggressive, man. She's good everywhere. She really wants to grapple with you more than anything. And Calderwood, before losing to Andrade, who's really tough in her own right, was on an impressive streak, you know, kind of getting it together. She switched to a new camp where she seemed to regain a new focus. This is a really interesting fight. A good scrap. I think the matchmaking is, goes alongst the similar theme of uh, a more developed veteran is taking on an up-and-comer. You have JoJo that has been there. I think she was a tough competitor. She's... Fought a couple of tough matches. Herself has been a, a bit of an up and down uh, as far as careers. Yeah, she's taken on a very tough uh, up-and-comer in Cynthia Calvillo, who is a 5-0 and zero and is coming off of an impressive win against Pearl Gonzalez in her last fight. I agree, man. Calvillo has been super impressive in the UFC, and Joanne Calderwood also on her own little streak prior to her last loss. It's a good fight, man. It's a really, it's a damn good fight. I'm favoring Cynthia Calvillo to win, but I, I'm expecting Calderwood to put up a good fight, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if she finds a way to victory in this one. I think this is Calvillo's toughest test as far as competition goes, and I don't know, man. It's a 50-50 fight for me. I think you have to look at uh, how they're coming into this fight, the preparation, how how the weight cut goes. I would slightly favor the newcomer as well, but I don't be surprised if JoJo pulls off an upset here. And I don't know what the lines look like. I don't know I, if it would be an upset or not. I agree, and you're, you're right. The lines have not been posted yet, so we're just kind of going off of guessing. I, I think Cynthia Calvillo will probably be a 3-1 to one type favorite, mm. but 
I'm not counting Calderwood out, man. She does have a really vast Muay Thai game that that she's had for years, you know, and now she's developing to her takedown defense. I just I think Sylvia Calvillo holds a huge advantage in one her her heart, her intensity, and just her willingness to grapple. She's a much better grappler, I, I think, and I, she she has a willingness to make the fight uncomfortable. She gets her opponent into a lot of compromising positions and she's really quick. She she's quick and that helps her a lot in her fights. And I think the quickness more than anything is going to stifle Calderwood. Definitely questions remain to be answered as far as Cynthia and I think Jojo Calderwood is a great matchup to get some answers and see where Cynthia is. Yeah, and I fully agree with you that this is her toughest test in the UFC so far. Yeah, Zhenya, it should be a pretty scrappy co-main. Moving into the main event, Gunny Nelson is fighting Santiago Ponzinibbio. This is a fun fight, man. Um, what I'm a little bit surprised about is a dangerous fight for Gunnar Nelson. You know, he's been on a really impressive streak. He's finally reached the top 10. However, with that being said, I mean, this is a high-risk, low-reward type fight for him. But he seems to do really well against guys like Ponzinibbio who give everybody else in the division trouble. Because, and as we talked about prior to this podcast, me and you had a little discussion on this, you have to be aware of his grappling when you fight him. Damian Maia was not worried, and therefore he had an easy victory. You know, he was able to kind of big brother him in the grappling but to everybody else, he's kind of their Damian Maya, you know? Yeah, man. I think this is a dangerous fight for him. I, I don't think... It, he, Other than respect, he doesn't have much to gain from this fight. And I have respect for him there. Because, you know, he is taking on a very scrappy opponent in Ponzinibbio. He's riding a four-win streak against Nordin Talib, Zach Cummings, Court McGee's in there. So... Definitely no slouch. Gagne, on the other hand, is on a whole nother level as far as his jiu-jitsu game goes. And, you know, he just is able to dismantle most of his opposition. Unless you are Damian Maia, like you said. So, good fight. I think he's doing it to stay busy, to continue building his resume. And continue making a case for top of the division. I think he learned a lot from that Maia fight. I agree, man. Uh, this Ponzinibbio guy, though, he's a very experienced fighter, man. 24 wins, 3 losses. Like you said, he's coming off of some really impressive wins over good guys like Norton Talib, and he's got a really good striking game. I wouldn't be shocked if he holds the striking advantage over Nelson. Uh, but what people sleep on a lot with Gunny, Gunner Nelson rather, is he's a pretty good karate stylist himself. Um do I think that Santiago's probably going to be the better striker in this fight? Yeah, probably so. But do I think Gunnar Nelson's going to cause his own problems in the striking? Yeah, I think so as well. However, I am favoring Gunnar Nelson a little bit in this fight just because, like you said, man, his jiu-jitsu is nuts. He's got a really good submission game. When he applies the submissions, he pretty much knows he's got him locked up and he's able to finish his opponents pretty quickly when he wraps up the sub. Good fighter overall, man. I always enjoy Gunnar Nelson fights, and despite it being a dangerous fight for him, you know, it's a fun fight for us fans. For sure. 
And just to speak on some of his accolades, he is a black belt in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. He is also a black belt in karate, which, to go back on, he does have striking experience. And he won't need to use it offensively per se, but it will help him gauge the distance of his opponent and definitely help him set up for a takedown, which is his realm and where he wants to be ultimately. That's what I'm thinking. I agree, and uh, I, I imagine he's probably going to be the crowd favorite in Scotland. I know he's an Icelandic fighter, and Ponzinibbio is an Argentine, but I, I have a hard time not seeing the crowd being behind Gunnar Nelson. He's a real crowd favorite. Yeah, just to swim over the pond, and you're there to see him fight. It's true. It sounds like we have a real fun fight card in Scotland this weekend. Also on that card, the interesting fighters like Brett Johns, uh, like we said, David Timor's brother, Pantoho's back, Danny Roberts versus Bobby Nash should be a really good fight. This is the first time I'm going to favor Khalil Roundtree, I think, Dima in a fight. Uh, I'm going to favor him over the Bear Jew, Paul Craig. And Jack Marshman's got a real good uh, striking game that I'm excited to see again. So I remember earlier we said we didn't know as many of the undercard fighters, but they are there are some good exciting undercard fights on here. Well, I wasn't trying to crap on the event by any means. Yeah, this fight night 113 is, you know, despite being low key, it has potential to be a really great fight card. So, moving into our next segment, we're going to briefly talk about some news and talking points we have that accumulated over this week before we bring this thing to a close. So, Real quick, the first point, Courtney Casey, who has been going through somewhat of a controversial series of events here with the banning of the USADA, the Texas Athletic State Commission, it's finally some good news to share. Uh, she gets uh, her win reinstated, and the Texas Athletic State Commission backs on her um, on her fine. What, what, what did they do? Ban her? I'm not sure if she got back pay. Is that what you're saying? Back pay for the fine? Well, uh, well, did the state athletic commission ruled like like they banned? I know she got her win reinstated versus Jessica Aguilar. Exactly, she got her name kind of thrown in the mud by USADA. They gave kind of a half-assed apology. No, no, no. USADA uh, never had an issue with her. USADA always defended her. Oh, it, it was, was the athletic sta- commission. Exactly. Oh, and from my, what I gathered, the B sample came up. And the reason that the process took... They didn't really apologize for what happened. They apologized for the process taking so long. They didn't really apologize for dragging her name in the mud, you know, making people believe that she's an abuser of drugs and, you know, she cheats. When in reality, you know, her B-sample showed that she didn't even really have any testosterone enhancement and she was at normal levels. So they kind of jumped the gun with that. They didn't really apologize. You're you're right. It was the athletic commission and not the USADA this time. However, it's it's tough for Courtney Casey. It's it's nice to see her reinstated. I, I'm not sure if she lost any money, Dima, um, and if how that works, if she gets back pay or not. But hopefully, fans will realize you know what really happened here and that. You know, she's not a cheater and that she didn't like even Cyborg example. This doesn't fall along the same lines like Cyborg actually took something to, you know, but she got a medical exemption. In this case, K 
Casey didn't even take anything, and her name was still thrown through the mud as Cyborg's was. Yeah, I mean, the athletic commission here completely fudged the situation, and it's I don't want to drag about on, uh, on about it for too long, but it's, it's good to see some justice, you know, finally come. And uh, hopefully she's able to get all her money and... Uh, you know, there's not a lot of uh, fallout as far as like sponsorships and concerns and things like that. I agree, and I don't think it will be. I just think for her, it's lost time. But as she showed in her last fight, uh, she she's really oh, I guess Jessica Aguilar, the one that was reinstated, she's shown a real improvement. You know, she's really in there to compete against the best girls in the world now, and it's nice to see her back without her name tarnished. Moving right ahead, uh, I know we didn't write this down on our notes, but I, I feel like it's nice. I just remembered it actually while we were talking. It's nice to update the fans. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we said that Matt Hughes was in a bad accident. He has been taken off the ventilator, and he is doing a little bit better. So, prayer still out to Matt Hughes that he gets better. Good and news. He's recovering. That is good news. Indeed. Um, next... We wanted to announce a fight. We have a fight coming up, a rematch in the light heavyweight division. OSP and Shogun 2 was announced for UFC Fight Night 117 this upcoming September. Yeah, that goes down September 23rd at the Satima, Japan. And this isn't really a fight that people were clamoring for. Like, oh, I really want to see the rematch between OSP Shogun. However, OSP did win their first one. He won in brutal fashion. He was able to use his athleticism. You know, OSP is coming off of a victory, and Shogun is coming off of two, I believe. With that being said, I I think this fight is a little bit just like last time. You know, I think OSP is going to be a little bit more athletic, a little bit better, and... A little bit more diverse for Shogun at this stage. Not saying Shogun in his prime wouldn't, you know, handle OSP pretty handily. But at this point in their careers, I feel OSP is a better fighter. Nevertheless, this is a good fight people weren't necessarily clamoring for, but a good fight that's high up the card. I I, I get it, though. You know, you're putting Shogun in Japan, and uh, he's uh, got quite a big fan following there coming off of his pride days. So it makes sense now whether this matchup, you know, part two, I don't know. It'll be rough. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't go down the same way. It's a little bit more competitive this time. But OSP is a beast. And uh, Rua has definitely has seen a share of battles. Yeah, and this is a rematch uh, of of a 2014 fight, actually. So it has been a little while, man. It's been almost three years. And Shogun's looked pretty good lately, you know. But granted, against not as good competition as OSP, like I, I believe his last win was versus Guy and Volante. Is that accurate? Yeah. So, you know, impressive win nevertheless for Shogun. And he was able to really show some flashes of old Shogun. But I, like you said, I, I don't think he's got it in him to beat a OSP anymore. Maybe he'll get the old pride spirit from the Japanese crowd and just go berserk and go old shooter box style and surprises. 
This is true, man. Shogun's got to feel good about fighting in Japan where he's alleged, and you know the crowd's going to be heavy behind him and booing every move OSP does and highly cheering every hit that Shogun lands. Well, I don't think they'll be booing anything. I think, if anything, the Japanese crowd is very respectful and quiet. I'm thinking of Texas, maybe. The Japanese is actually my favorite crowd, and you're right, man. I kind of missed the boat on that right there. They are a very quiet, respectful group, and they, they'll applaud probably even OSP. So I, I was wrong. Thanks for correcting me on that. Uh, yeah, man, that's, that's a good crowd there in Japan. So one little bit, one last little bit of news, and I know you're excited to talk about this. Yeah, man, how about those promos last night, man? They were, they were really fun, and especially the one I really wanted to highlight with you, DC versus John Jones. Was that the best promo UFC's ever done? That was... Well, I don't think the best. I I really like the lead up to Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey. I think that was one of the best promotional good. pieces they've done. But yeah, WME being an entertainment company mm-hmm. is definitely pulling some strings here and like this almost WWF-esque type um promo that aired here with, you know, the murky past of John Jones coming up and DC being the the champion that that needs to prove himself in this one and only fight, yeah, man, I think it was a really really great piece of promotional material. Yeah, despite just like in a media sense of them finding like those clips that I thought was really nice nicely pieced together, I think that this brings a lot of attention and draws a lot of eyes to. A product that was already a lot of people were real excited about, man. A a lot of real MMA fans are already behind this fight. But what was interesting is that promo captured the attention of people that aren't really as into MMA, but they're like, oh, man, this has a backstory. This is like a show I see on TV. Uh, My hat's off to UFC team. They, They did a really good job. And as I highlighted a little bit earlier, I'm really impressed with the WIMG's media relations, you know, the just the way that they handle media, the way that some of the excitement, even like some of the stuff that I didn't understand at first. Like, to be honest, I, I was never a fan of the interim titles, Dima. I thought that was kind of stupid stuff, a little bit silly, a little bit overused and devalues the, the belt. But now I completely get it from WIMG because what they're doing is they're trying to create a show and put on a show. So if they got that interim title, not only do they have something at the top of the bill that casuals get more excited over, but at the same time, they create a clear number one. Like after last night, you couldn't deny Whitaker to fight Michael Bisping. You know, that's the interim. You could even if Gegard goes out there and just annihilates his next opponent, just looks like a world beater. He's not going to jump Robert Whitaker, and that's kind of why I started to appreciate these interim titles, even though it's a little bit overplayed. I think it's a little bit played out, but it was good for this middleweight division in the sense that it clearly needed to happen. You have you had a line of contenders, and progress needed to be made because it things were being draws a line in the sand. Exactly, things were being put on hold. So while I'm not for the interim title. Uh, you know, in other cases, things needed to move along here in middleweight. As far as this promo is concerned, it's an interesting and unique angle. You know, I was 
more going for like the one the number one and the two f of the division but this creates more of like the redemption angle whereas the dc is kind of taking like um the proving i need to prove myself kind of a approach so it, it's interesting the the promotional piece the the video itself got me hype so yeah the 214 is looking stacked as ever the fight that was supposed to happen here uh robbie lawler and cowboy is is on the future on this card as well yeah just adding a real level of excitement to what was already like you said a very strong 214 card my only criticism of that specific promo is it, it was kind of the john jones story you know it was the john jones redemption story and i'm not sure dc would probably be too happy if he saw that promotion how little he was involved in it but it is kind of the story of this fight and it makes it a real interesting and intriguing fight it is kind of John Jones' redemption story, and Daniel Cormier is, in my opinion, his nemesis, and in most people's eyes, his nemesis. Like you said, it'll get the casuals involved. It, you know, poses a interesting and you know, clickbait-ish type of uh, you know exposure. Uh, but for us hardcores, it's a clear number one and number two matchup in the division, and this is what we're really looking forward to. Yeah, you were impressed with another promo they did, right? They're the same car. No, I wasn't impressed by that. It didn't really make sense. They were talking You're about talking about the Yoel one. I must have missed that one. The it, Yoel, it followed up Bisping, right afterwards. Whitaker, the one prior to their fight. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, the mm -hmm. the one hyping up that one. It made a little bit less sense because they were like, after all this time, Michael Bisbing is finally the middleweight champion. Awkward pause. Now Yoel Romero and Robert Whitaker mm -hmm. are gonna fight for interim fight. I was like, what? Yeah, they that was were, a tradition. They were doing a lot of their lead-up TV play, which kind of pushing for a future fight. And, I mean, like you said in last week, actually, you said this. You said it's kind of what UFC does. You know, they're always building for that next fight. So they had planned Bisbing there, tearing up the flag, <laughs> hopping in there. I, like I said, I, I can't really comment on that promotion too much, but that does sound a little weird, you know. But the truth of the matter is, Bisbing wanted a bigger fight, one with more money is why he accepted GSP. A guy that's never really been scared to fight anybody in his life. I, I think it's unfair that a lot of people are calling him coward and stupid stuff like that. But yeah, all that was after the fight was promotion. I, I completely agree with Bisbing throwing the belt. And I think WIMG, if you want to pat them on the back or give them any accolades, the one thing that they do really well is promotion. Indeed. Good at promotion, providing your <clears throat> and company's good graces. If you're a guy like DJ, might not be getting promoted as much. Yeah, I agree. And hopefully we get in good graces with the Shoot the Ones listeners, man. But we don't really care. We're going to keep doing this. I mean, let me rephrase that. We We do care. We do care. We want you guys to listen. You know, we put a lot of effort into making a good show for you guys. Yeah, and we're open to criticism, provided that it's, uh, you know, constructive, and we're always looking to improve. We're 21 episodes deep. I agree, and part of the reason we've had such growth is due to the constructive criticism we've received. You know, we've, we've received a lot of good criticism over our time. 
not that not only that but passion lots of passion for fighting for mixed martial arts for ufc bellator you know all of these events that are coming up and mma is really growing over the last 10 years so we have we're at a point of where we see a pretty much a weekly event so it's great to see the sport where it's at it's growing it's bigger than it's ever been and you know we're just glad to be here doing a podcast for you folks so catch us on our platforms we can be found on soundcloud youtube itunes stitcher mmapodcast.com and anywhere else where major podcasts can be found yeah Dima, this has been a great growing process and like you said man doing a podcast is a lot of fun we want to thank all the listeners for joining us again for this episode 21 it was a lot of fun because we had a lot of great fights this weekend which always leads to a very exciting podcast for us we just want to tell you thank you for joining us and Dima and Jenya out I ain't gonna give it up